Our scripture reading is that same story that comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. First, let us pray. Startle us, O God. Startle us as we encounter your old sacred story and enable us to hear it in new ways. In your name we pray. Amen. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around, so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and take your mat and walk? But so, but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, I say to you, stand up and take your mat and go home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God helps those who help themselves. This is the second in our series of things Jesus never said. He never said it, but it is frequently attributed to him. The last time the Barna Group, which is a religious polling firm, the last time they asked the question, 82% of the general population believed that saying was found in the Bible. Now that's just the general population. The Christians they surveyed, they did better. Only 81% of Christians surveyed thought the same. Now the next most common citation outside of the Bible is the belief that the saying originated with Benjamin Franklin. It does appear in his almanac, but the earliest known use of the exact quote is in an article titled Discourses Concerning Government, written by Algernon Sidney, an English politician in 1698. Students of ancient literature, though, may recognize strikingly similar sentiments found in Aesop's fables. Those date back to nearly 600 BCE. Whichever source you are inclined to credit, though, this idea has been with us long enough that it has woven itself securely into our culture and, unfortunately, into our Christianity, too. But before we go further with that, I wonder if you've heard this story. To be clear, it is not in the Bible either, 
though it is often referred to as the parable of the drowning man. A terrible storm swept into a town and local officials sent out an evacuation notice to all of the citizens, warning that the river would soon overflow and flood the nearby homes. A faithful Christian man heard the warning and thought to himself, I will stay. I will trust God, and if I am in danger, then God will save me. The neighbors came to his house and said, we're leaving. There is room for you in the car. Come with us. But the man said, no, I have faith that God will save me. And then the man stood on his porch and watched the water rise as a man in a canoe paddled by and called to him, hurry, come, join me in the canoe. The water is rising quickly. But the man said, no, I have faith that God will save me. The water rose higher still. The man retreated to the second floor of his home. A police boat came by and saw him in the window. We will come up and rescue you, they called. But the man refused. He said, go save someone else. I have faith that God will save me. The water continued to rise. The man climbed to his roof. A helicopter spotted him and dropped a rope ladder. A rescue worker came all the way down and reached out for him. Grab my hand, he said, I will pull you up. And the man said, no, I have faith that God will save me. Shortly after that, the waters overwhelmed the house and swept the man away and he drowned. In heaven, the man stood before God and said, I had such faith in you. Why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a warning. I sent you a car. I sent you a canoe. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. How much more help could I have possibly sent? Now, there are actually a few different versions of this parable floating around. Growing up in Michigan, I always heard it as the parable of the man lost in a snowstorm. But rainstorm or snowstorm, the story reminds us that a healthy dose of humility is appropriate when discerning or asserting or, heaven forbid, even preaching about the presence or absence of divine assistance. God helps those who help themselves. Now, there is a grain of truth to be found in there, scriptural and otherwise, Second Thessalonians contains a strong warning to us against idleness. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat, it reads. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work and earn their living. But these words are almost certainly a response to Christians who had decided that since Jesus was coming back and coming back soon, well, they didn't have to do anything in the meantime. The simple truth is that to be human is to carry responsibility in this world. It is not solely up to God to give me an A on a test pay my bills on time, remind me to fill a prescription, or make me go to bed at a reasonable hour. If I want God to help me with those things, I will need to do my part too. And that is fine. But God helps those who help themselves has become a siren song of rugged self-reliance 
and raw individualism and abject independence, things that are not scriptural, attributes that Jesus never emphasized. From start to finish, the entire biblical witness insists that we are tied inextricably to God and that God does not leave us in our time of need. The prophet Isaiah proclaims that God is a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. The apostle Paul teaches that God proves God's love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus himself, when criticized for sharing lunch with a tax collector, he says, well, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick do. But a more sustained look in one area of scripture is especially instructive here. Mark's gospel begins in a hurry. Within the first 10 verses of the first chapter, Jesus is baptized and a dove descends and a voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved. I am well pleased with you. His hair is still wet from his baptism when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He resists. He calls some followers and just as soon as they've learned each other's names, he takes them to a synagogue where he exercises an unclean spirit from a man. As soon as they leave the synagogue, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. And that very same evening, people begin bringing to him everyone who is sick or unwell, and he cures or heals them all. He tries to get just a little time alone, but a leper finds him and begs, please, please make me clean. So Jesus heals him too. That is what happens prior to our reading this morning. Jesus has healed and helped so many people. They are following him wherever he goes. And so our reading begins, so many had gathered that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And so the four men climb onto a roof and then tear straight through it to get to Jesus with their paralyzed friend. And Jesus does not push them away. He does what he always does. He helps the man in the way he needs it most. Now, all of that taken together or even individually, that is not the picture of a man who would ever claim God helps those who help themselves. It is the picture of someone who is going to help as many people as he possibly can and will not let anything stand in the way. Not Satan or sickness or sin, not demons or disease or disability, not even physical structures or well-meaning people. God, through the person of Jesus Christ, is going to move heaven and earth to help and heal everyone who needs it. That is literally gospel truth. And you know that I love it when grammar makes the gospel even more obvious. The paralytic who is healed, up until the moment of his healing, every verb used to describe him is passive. He is carried by other men. He is lowered into the house. He is commanded by Jesus to get up. 
he literally does nothing. He speaks not a single word. God's help is a result of who God is, not a result of what we do. Gospel truth. But it is also gospel truth that we are called to be God's hands and feet in this world. I mentioned the cover of the bulletin already with the children. I love it because not only does it show how many people were crowded in and around the house, it shows how many people were involved in getting the paralyzed man up on the roof and then down into the room. And if you count, it is way more than four. It is a community-wide event. God helps those who help themselves. None of us are capable of helping ourselves, not all the way. And anyone who thinks otherwise is deceiving themselves. We come into this world completely dependent on others for our survival. And while the degree of our dependence varies over the course of our lives, it never goes away. Most of the time I hear the divine self-help mantra when people are complaining about or frustrated by what they perceive to be a lack of effort on someone else's part. I hear it in public response to governmental assistance programs like food stamps or unemployment or disability pay, subsidized school meals and taxpayer-funded medical care. But I also hear it in private conversations with individuals in my office or on the phone who are being so hard on themselves they can no longer lift their head to see the light of day. They are convinced that everything wrong could be remedied if they would just try a little harder or do a little better. Whether we are holding on to this old adage and putting it in the face of others or putting it on our own shoulders, God helps those who help themselves is not the good news of Jesus Christ. Frederick Beekner, in his memoir, The Sacred Journey, he writes, to do for yourself the best that you have in you to do, to grit your teeth and clench your fists in order to survive the world at its harshest and worst is, by that very act, to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is far more wonderful still. The trouble with steeling yourself against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed secures your life also against being opened up and transformed by the holy power that life itself comes from. You can survive on your own. You may even prevail on your own, but you absolutely cannot become human on your own. And friends, becoming human is holy. Being human is holy. It is so holy that even God chose to do it. So let us endeavor to never do anything less. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.